Hi, friends. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. I am so excited to be sharing our first interview ever with a person who has PCOS and knows firsthand all of the challenges that that diagnosis comes with. My hope is that these episodes will be inspiring to you and help you see that you are not alone and that you'll maybe even pick up some helpful tips along the way. Our first PCOS guest is Jenny Villa, a 36-year-old licensed mental health counselor who was diagnosed with PCOS at the age of 12. Jenny had difficulties finding medical care that treated her as a whole person and didn't just focus on her fertility or her weight. After decades of various diets and exercise plans and even undergoing bariatric surgery, what finally made the difference in her PCOS treatment and symptom management was a mindset shift. She learned how to nourish her body with food and found motivation for exercise beyond just doing it to punish and shrink her body. I am so grateful that Jenny took the time to speak with me and share her personal experiences. I hope you enjoy this deep discussion with Jenny as much as I did. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. All right, welcome, Jenny. Hi, Melissa. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. I am so excited to have you. And actually, you are our very first guest with PCOS. No pressure or anything. <laughs> no, no pressure. You know, when I was looking for folks to invite on the podcast to talk about their experiences with PCOS, you were one of the first names that I thought of because, you know, I feel like I've really gotten to know you pretty well over the last 10 months or so in the Facebook group and some of the work we've done together. And I think you know, what's really great about your story is if you kind of look back at your history through the Facebook group and your experience in the root cause runway uh, roadmap, you are 
you know, really exemplify the, you know, kind of doubting in the beginning, you know, having all the (laughs) struggles with the carb cravings and things Mm -hmm. like that. And then, you know, you really, you went with it, you know, I know it was uncomfortable, but you trusted in the process and just kept going. And then we started to see the results. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that, you know, it was really rewarding for you. I'm thinking in particular of that post where you were talking about having to go see the endocrinologist and finding out that you had lost 18 pounds. Yeah, that was very surprising. <laughs> yeah, I remember even in the beginning, you felt like maybe you were eating too much and things weren't moving in the right direction. So, you know, it's really glad to see you get that validation from. Mm-hmm your doctor. Um, So let's back up a little, little bit and tell the listeners a little bit about you, you know, your age, are you married? What do you do for work? That kind of stuff. Sure. So I, at the time of of this recording, I'm 36, but I'll be 37 in a couple of weeks. I am a licensed professional counselor. So I see primarily adults with mental health issues. I love my work and I love doing telehealth. It's so convenient for everyone involved. I am married. Uh, I've been married for 11 years. We have only ever had children with fur. um, (laughs) And so Dante is here in the room with me. And I, as I mentioned, I apologize if he barks in session, but we'll try to manage that. And let's see here. I started my PCOS journey when I was 12, obviously at 12 don't know too much about your body or anything that's going on. But at that age, I had was meeting all three Rotterdam criteria. I had amenorrhea, hirsutism, and I, when I had the ultrasounds done, I had the, the classic chain of pearls in my ovaries. And it was a pretty like crystal clear yep, this is what you've got scenario, which as I have learned in the past 25 years is very unusual that most women do not get diagnosed with PCOS until their twenties and when they're trying to conceive. So in a sense, I kind of feel lucky that I was so young, that it was caught so young, but at the same time, it's was also taught, you know, just come back when you're ready to have kids as so many women I experience. Yeah, we've definitely seen an evolution in the diagnosis timeline. I will say, you know, the majority of people who find me do so kind of in their early 30s. It's usually, you know, I've I've been on the pill since I was a teen. I got married, came off the pill, and nothing happened. And, you know, they're not actively trying to conceive yet, but they're starting to think about it. And so that's sort of what triggers that visit to the doctor's office. But I am seeing more and more, and I think it's a really good sign, more women being diagnosed at earlier ages. And I think you know, because the moms who are like my age now are much more educated about hormones and what's normal than our moms were. Um, And there's more open discussion in the household about that kind of stuff where, where we really, you know, we didn't talk about any of that um, when Mm -hmm. I was young. And so I, I actually love when I get to work with that age group, when the mom's 
find me because I feel like there's so, so many damaging messages out there around oh PCOS. My goodness, yeah. yeah. So when you can kind of get to them um, before <laughs> that damage has been done, it's like, oh, how amazing that we get to get a jump start on working on your symptoms and lowering your risk for some of those you know, serious consequences. Mm -hmm. Um, So it sounds like you had a a pretty severe category of PCOS. If you had all three of the Rotterdam criteria, that really puts you in the highest severity. Can you talk a little bit about some of the symptoms that you were struggling with that brought you into the doctor's office in the first place? Like I said, the amenorrhea and herzogism were the most overt also obesity. I mean, my family tends is a large family, but so it wasn't really at that part wasn't abnormal, but that definitely I have since learned through working with you is that weight is a symptom of PCOS, not a personal failure on my part, which is one of those damaging messages that gets taught to so many women with PCOS or before they're diagnosed. There's definitely that narrative that if you just lose weight, it's going to cure all of your problems. Oh yeah. And I know, I know you personally have, have seen that that's not exactly the case. No, it's not. So those, those were the the biggest issues that I had as a teenager. I was put on the the pill at age 12, maybe 13, but definitely like shortly after I was diagnosed and have been on it ever since. I honestly don't know what my hormones look like without Mm. it. The self-esteem that, I mean, being a teenager is not fun to begin with, but being an overweight teenager with, you know, excessive facial and body hair really is not fun for a girl. I think that's one of the the most unfair parts of PCOS is how many, you know, unlike a lot of chronic illnesses where you really don't see the symptoms, so many of the PCOS symptoms are cosmetic and, mm-hmm. you know, really make it a hard, a uh, really difficult time to have good body image or have, mm-hmm. you know, positivity about yourself when you're struggling with stuff like that. Yes. I, I used to keep my hair long and would literally like pull it down in front of my face and my neck to try to hide. It was, it wasn't uh wasn't the highlight of my life. <laughs> I'll say that for sure. Fortunately, unlike many women who do experience this symptom, I did not have much acne as a teenager. So it kind of was a trade-off. I find that with a lot of things when it comes to hormone imbalances, it's like, if, if this hormone's imbalanced, you're going to have this negative side effect, but you also get this kind of positive side effect mm-hmm. or almost a superpower, you know, like having the, having the high androgens, for example, makes it so easy to put on muscle mass um, Mm. and be strong and all of those things. I I tend to see people who were, you know, really good athletes in their teens because of those sort of higher than natural androgens. Well, I can't say that about myself. I (laughs) was not an athlete. I was a mathlete. I was a super like straight A student, honor roll, all of that stuff. I, I literally traveled the state, went to math competitions. So I did play volleyball my senior year and did do a little bit of karate, but athletic prowess, that, that was not one of my superpowers that came along with this diagnosis. Yeah. So you've really, um, you know, it sounds like 
talking about covering your hair, using your hair to, to cover that facial hair growth. You know, you've kind of had a long time to adapt uh, to the symptoms and living with PCOS. Can you talk a little bit? I'm, I'm really curious, you know, since you were diagnosed so young, how, how did that come up with your relationship with your husband? Like, how did you tell him that this was a thing? Oh, goodness. I've got to go through the fire to in my brain <laughs> to think. Was it like I mean, first date material or more like? No, but our first date was heavy. I mean, it was about the trauma of the previous boyfriend, but, um, <laughs> and I, I mean, that was kind of, actually maybe not first date, but one of our first few days, that's one of the reasons and how I knew I was going to marry him that he said, okay, how can I help support you through getting over this? And I was like, whoa, where did you come from? This is amazing. And that's really like who he is and who he's been all along. Obviously, like a lot of men get kind of squidgy when it comes to talking about periods. And No, um, my husband is in the medical field. He's a pharmacist. And so he is like super chill with anything medical related. There's a reason I'm in mental health, not physical health, because I do not have the stomach for a lot of physical health stuff. So no, he is super supportive and understanding about that. I rem- I, I'm trying to, I don't remember when I told him about the, you know, the hirsutism, but I remember one of the first things we had talked about was the infertility that comes along with PCOS. And early in our dating, I remember telling him, if it ever came down to, you know, in the delivery room, me or the child, you pick the child. And he looked at me and said, no, like we can adopt if we need to, but I'm choosing you. And again, I was like, whoa, this man is amazing. <laughs> and as I mentioned, you know, as the years have gone by, we are now childless by choice. But that was really one of like the pivotal moments of us discussing, you know, me having PCOS and what that meant for our future together. Oh, that's amazing. He sounds like a real genuine keeper, you know, we're actually the opposite. And, you know, I was going back to school to become a dietitian as an adult and I would come home so excited about the things I was learning or, you know, patients I was seeing at the hospital and I would start talking and he would be kind of like quietly turning gray and then green. (laughs) I'm like, oh, sorry, this is not as fascinating to you as it is to me. <laughs> so we had always said, if if we do, you know, ever have children, uh, I will be paying for a doula to be present. <laughs> I'd be like in the, the 50s, he's just in the waiting room with the other husbands. <laughs> yeah, he would love to go back to those days, just give him the cigar when it's done, that kind yep. of thing. <laughs> What were some of the things that you tried over the years? So you said the pill, did you ever go on metformin? I was put on metformin probably around age 15 or 16. Um, <laughs> I remember hating it and having all of the gastrointestinal upset that came along with it. My body just didn't tolerate it. I went off of it maybe within a year, year and a half of being on it. Because everyone, the doctors kept saying, oh, you'll, you'll adjust to it. Change your diet. You'll adjust to it. Change my diet. I didn't adjust to it. It still kept, it kept making mm. me sick. 
That's super common. Um, and it seems, you know, some people seem to adjust to it after a little while. Others, you know, they'll say the extended release tends to do better for them. Others kind of take it at night and and hope for the best. But some people I've found just really don't ever adjust really, to it. I really didn't. And I, I remember starting at the 500, going to the 1,000, the 1,500, the 2,000, the regular, the extended release, trying all of it. And my body was just like not having it. And one of the things I have mentioned to you or in, in the Facebook group is in doing the root cause roadmap and discovering the the gut issues and the comorbidity mm-hmm. of gut issues with PCOS, because I had also been diagnosed with IBS when I was about 18. And since doing the, the root cause uh, roadmap with you and the work and the, the dietary adjustments and the supplements, I really think looking back, that was about the time that my IBS symptoms started developing was with the metformin. Mm-hmm. And I think that jacked up my digestive system and set me on this course of the IBS. Cause I really, I don't remember having digestive issues when I was younger. Yeah, really interesting. There's so many triggers of mm-hmm. gut issues. And, you know, I find it to be super common, especially for for people who had any sort of recurrent infection as a child. So, you know, sinus infection, ear infection. I personally had throat infections all the way through college. So, you know, having any sort of extensive antibiotic history can be a trigger for you know, kind of the bad guys to overgrow and the good guys to undergrow. Yeah, I do. I do remember when you brought that up that you were just shocked. You were like, it all makes so much sense. It did. And fortunately, working with you, I and also attending acupuncture for the past, um, let's see, 16 months or so. I won't say that I'm like perfectly IBS free, but my gut issues, I have been able to heal a lot of those issues using what I have learned from you. And so honestly, like, again, if that, if I'm going to trade off symptoms, I'd rather deal with facial hair than the gut issues. (laughs) Fortunately, I've got both under control now, but having good gut health, holy Moses, does that make a difference? I think it's, you know, gut is so funny because it's one of those things where we just kind of get used to our own normal and it's not really something we talk about with people like what's normal, what's not, how many times of pooping is normal, what texture of poop is normal. Like (laughs) nobody really talks about that. And, you know, when you're hanging out with the girls, it's not something you, you chat about. And I, you know, I often find I am talking to someone in an assessment about their gut health and it's like, they, you know, to them, it's normal. But to me, I'm like, Ooh, we got to do something about this like right away. Yeah. <laughs> I think, you know, the other thing that's interesting about IBS and there is a higher incidence of IBS with PCOS, but it's one of those other kind of vague syndromes, you know, they yeah. basically diagnose you with IBS if you don't have IBD, which is inflammatory bowel disease, which is, you know, the very clear clinical diagnoses of Crohn's or ulcerative colitis. So IBS Mm -hmm. is just like, well, you got issues. Um, Basically 
what they're saying. We don't know what it, what it is or what's causing it, but you got issues. <laughs> yeah. So I've been on so many different you know treatments for that too. But since starting the root cause runway and adjusting my, my diet and following the PFF dietary guidelines, I have been able to reduce two of my medications in half. So I, again, thank you for everything that I have learned and and being able to better take care of my body. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, I think, you know, when I was developing the root cause roadmap in January of 2020, I was actually doing it live and I had planned to focus on gut health in module four after we talked about insulin resistance, inflammation, then I was going to go into hormone imbalances and then finally gut. And what happened was because we were doing it live and, you know, I was going through the first two modules and it was becoming you know, rapidly apparent to me how much we needed to focus on gut because it was something that so, so many of the students were struggling with. And to be honest, it, you know, thinking back on it now, it makes much more sense to put the gut health module before the hormone balance module, because we can't have balanced hormones if our gut's not working. It's true. Yeah. So um, while we're on the topic of gut, um, and I know, um, you know, you're one, one of a, definitely a handful of students who've come through the program after having undergone bariatric surgery. Mm-hmm. So you had the, the sleeve gastrectomy. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the, the process of deciding to do that, what the effects of the surgery were, you know, maybe, maybe anything. Cause I, I do see women with PCOS being kind of guided towards that decision. So maybe, you know, things you wish women with PCOS knew about, you know, making that decision. Sure. So my journey to deciding to get bariatric surgery was kind of a short one, but very, uh, fast paced and action packed. In January of 2012, I was experiencing vertigo. So I went to an urgent care and this doctor comes in. I really don't even think she made eye contact with me. She said, you have vertigo because you have high blood pressure and you have high blood pressure because you're overweight and you should have bariatric surgery. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) Uh, I've never had a blood pressure problem in my life ever. My blood pressure is textbook or better. People are always blown away because I am still even post-op an overweight woman, which is one of those unfair stigmas related to Mm -hmm. being overweight. But I was just furious. I remember leaving that office in tears, calling my husband, like, who does she think she is? It was horrible. And I had not ever previously considered surgery before then. And at the time I was working actually at a uh, psychiatric hospital and I was doing an intake on a a patient. And one of standard questions was, do you know your approximate height and weight? And the woman tells me, you know, whatever, however tall she was. And it was like 221 pounds. And I said, that's very specific. (laughs) And she says, I know because I had bariatric surgery and I know I'm still losing and I know exactly what I weigh. And this was maybe three months after that doctor's visit. And I said to the woman, are you happy you did that? 
And she says, it's the best decision I ever made. I wish I had done it 20 years earlier. I think the woman was in her 40s. And so that got me thinking, this woman, I don't, I couldn't pick her out of a lineup today if, if you <laughs> put her in front of me. But she really helped me make that decision. And I started thinking, because I was in my mid-20s, I was like, I've got the PCOS. I've got this, you know, history of obesity in my family, history of cancers, you know, different things. Like, I don't want to get to my mid forties and wish I had done this then. Mm. So I started talking to my doctors and everybody was in support saying, this is a good idea. Even my family was like, if that's what you feel you need to do, then we support you. Surprisingly, the only person that had a negative comment to say about me deciding for the surgery was a doctor I worked with. And she says, but you could die during the surgery. I'm like, I could die driving to work tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a risk I'm willing to take to invest in my health. So, so that's how I came to make the decision. And after having the, the surgery, I lost about 80 pounds in the course of a year and a half. And one of the things that I wish I had known before surgery was how much my relationship to my body and food was going to change. Mm -hmm. Nobody prepared me for that. When food is your coping skill mm -hmm. and then it's taken away because you can't physically put it in your body. It's like, how, how am I supposed to work with this stuff? So that is something I would recommend is definitely you know, joining the the support groups and also individual therapy and or working with a nutritionist who understands bariatric life and, and, and post-op life to to work on that relationship. And that's something that you talk about a little bit with the root cause uh, runway and in our Facebook group is how our relationship with food is really about how it's to nourish our bodies and that it's not you know, eating lettuce is not a punishment. It's you eat lettuce because it's good for you. It sounds like a minor switch, but is such a mindset shift that makes all the difference. Yeah, I think first of all, shout out to my friend, uh, bariatric meal prep on Instagram. Um, she's a fantastic dietitian who does specialize in bariatric surgery pre and post and just has tons of tips um, for meeting nutrient needs and meal prepping. And she's really great. She's like the me for bariatrics. So gotta <laughs> shout out Kristen. I think you know, you know, as a, as a therapist, food and, you know, things like alcohol and other things are coping mechanisms. They, you know, are very valid. We, we do talk about this when we're talking about emotional eating. Um, they're very valid and they're very effective. They work really fast. The problem really comes in when they become our only coping mechanism or, if the coping me mechanism that you turn to most often maybe doesn't align with your goals for yourself. So you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot when you're choosing to use that as a coping mechanism. And absolutely, I love therapy. I recommend therapy for as many people as possible. They can really help you build that toolbox of other coping mechanisms that might be more effective or more mm -hmm. in line with your long-term goals. But that's, you know, really great. And I think 
the other thing that I, I just want to mention when it comes to bariatric surgery and PCOS is I, I do often hear it presented as like the solution to all of your problems. Oh like, gosh, okay, well, not. <laughs> bariatric surgery is going to help you lose weight. And then that's going to get rid of all of your PCOS symptoms. And I will say, I tend to see people about two years out from the surgery once, you know, they've lost the weight and have stabilized um, and they still find their, like their periods didn't come back. They've still got acne. They've still got hair loss. Um, and now we're in a little bit more of a difficult place because I recommend very, very high fiber intake for PCOS. Mm-hmm. And so we, we often can't get there after bariatric surgery. There's just not room for fluffy fruits and vegetables, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's a good point that, you know, the post-op meal or post-op diet is focused on protein. And because you, your stomach is, you know, depending on what surgery you have, but you, you physically only have so much room and protein is what we need. And that's, that's the thing that's touted, you know, rule number one is getting protein and, you know, fiber, what, what fiber. Um, Mm -hmm. I I honestly can't recall even working with the bariatric nutritionist in office ever discussing fiber. It was all about protein. And that's one of the things I've learned in since working with you this year is how important protein has, I mean, excuse me, fiber has been and that how that's helped the gut health issues and yeah, learning to eat again, really, and eat in the way that is right for my body and my needs has been really important. And there, there is no one size fits all. Like you have some guidelines for PCOS patients, but you know, I have my other health issues that I have to attend to. So the exact way that I eat is not going to be the exact way another patient eats. Exactly. It's got to be customized, you know, and based on needs and goals and medical history, which is always Mm -hmm. a really important part of deciding, you know, what recommendations to make for a patient when it comes to, you know, nutrition, supplements, lifestyle, it's, it's all got to be customized to your situation. Why don't we switch gears a little bit and talk about exercise. I love how Mm. you were talking about how your relationship with exercise has evolved through the years as well. Again, having been an overweight person pretty much my whole life, I have always heard, you know, you're, you're fat, you need to lose weight. Some version of that, some people were nicer than others, but that was the distilled message, you're fat, you need to exercise and lose weight. And so I had this view for many years that exercise was a punishment for being fat. And it wasn't until a few years ago that I started to think about it a little bit differently. And I honestly don't know where the seed got planted, but I remember being at a networking event for like a small business networking event and talking to these women who were personal trainers and wanting to you know, get their business going and sharing with them that I had learned that exercise didn't need to be a punishment, that it could be something that I wanted to do. And that as I mentioned earlier, with so many things, the mindset shift has been the like the fundamental component of my, my progress and my success 
since I've started working with you and really in life in general and learning in thanks to COVID and having a little more time at home, I became, you know, really into doing yoga and yoga daily has become that's, that's my joyful movement. And to be able to enjoy exercise and want to do it rather than, you know, you're fat and you need to lose weight. It's like kind of like an ale is still even saying it out loud feels like a foreign concept. Yeah. If you had told me two years ago, I would be exercising at home. I, I would not have believed you. I've, I've always been, I've always had a gym membership. I, I, you know, I sort of see it as like a place I go and I, you know, work out and I, I connect. I used to love spinning classes in New York city and yoga classes with friends. And, you know, even here, uh, we've kept up that gym membership and then COVID, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so over the past, you know, year and a half, we've sort of gradually been acquiring more home gym equipment. And it's so great because it's like, it's not an event. It's not like I have to get dressed and get in the Mm -hmm. car and go somewhere. It's just like, oh, hey, I've got like 45 minutes. Maybe I'll hop on the bike. I was actually asking Ginny Silvestro about what types of weights I should invest in. Cause like, I know that's the next step. Like I know I need to get that at home. You got to meet Ginny recently, huh? I did. She, uh, she's very nice. We went to the PCOS challenge symposium in Philadelphia together. Well, along with other women, but we have, we follow each other on Instagram and I was like, Oh, you're going to be there. What's then. So we ended up having lunch together that day. Oh, that's amazing. And I'm slightly jealous. I have not gotten to meet Jenny in person. For those of you who don't know who Jenny is, Jenny Silvestro is a certified personal trainer who specializes in PCOS. And her Instagram account is BeFit with PCOS. I keep saying she's she's in New York. So next time I get down to New York, we'll have to have to meet up for sure. Mm-hmm. Hey there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. One thing I did want to mention, Melissa, about the exercise thing, and and you had asked me about things that I have tried over the years. I have spent a lot of time, money and energy with various gyms, personal trainers, um, 
you know, the, the commercial weight loss programs, the different things. I was at a gym a few years back and the owner really encouraged me to try this TRX class. And for anyone who doesn't know what TRX is, it's kind of like this uh, strap that hangs from the ceiling and you use like your body weight and you adjust and you pull and different things. And I did this class and I left halfway through, I was crying. I couldn't keep up. It was so intense. It just was not for me. And I like, that's another reason that I've avoided going to the gym and classes of the embarrassment of not being able to, to keep up of being overweight, of getting out of breath faster than everybody else, all of those things. And so when people said, find an exercise you like, I was like, that that doesn't exist. <laughs> like there, there is no exercise that I like. Everything is awful. And then I, I tried to do a runner couch to 5k apps. I'm, I'm not a runner, but then I discovered yoga and apparently it is true. There is an exercise that you like, you just have, to, you have to find it and it can take years or decades because it did for me. So if anybody out there is struggling, I just want to put that out there that I know very much what it's like to, to not like exercise and believe it. If I can say I found something I like somebody, <laughs> you can find something too. just, just try it all. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And it's, it's a good reminder too. And I think it's important to keep in mind that people much like the diets they follow, they're very committed to the exercise style that they are into. And, you know, there, there are people praising all kinds of exercises, like this is the best thing. You know, your experience with TRX sounds a little bit like my experience with hot yoga, where, mm -hmm. you know, it was like sweaty men in speedos in this carpeted room. And the, you know, anytime my head would get close to the carpet, it was just such a disgusting smell. Yeah. And I almost passed out and I had to lie down and they don't let you leave the room because mm -hmm. if you cool down too fast, that's a problem. And uh -huh. so like I did that one class, I was like, yep, not for me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, keep finding something else to do. But, you know, being willing to try different things is also important. I always give extra credit for anything that's got a component of fun involved. Definitely want to do some of those like circus classes sometime. In the would future. Be, like I would love to try one of those aerial classes. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think, you know, through the years has really made the biggest difference in managing your symptoms? Mm. I don't know that there's a single thing. And I guess that's that's probably the, the thing that I would say is that with any chronic health condition, it doesn't exist in isolation. It is your whole body that needs to be taken care of. You know, if we just looked at hormone levels, okay, but that's not addressing, for instance, the gut issues or, you know, muscle strength or mental health or any of those things. So taking the whole body approach, which I think is honestly what drew me to the hormone dietitian on Instagram, I think I got like an ad or something that was like, go check out this account. And so I was kind of hooked from day one and really taking that whole body approach and learning how 
uh, wellness or lack of wellness in one area is related to wellness or lack of wellness in another area. Yeah. So that's really, you know, the integrative and functional approach where we're looking at, you know, not just your nutrition and your diet, but we're looking at your lifestyle as a whole. And we're using a combination of food and lifestyle recommendations and targeted supplements where necessary, but also some of the things from conventional medicine that also work and, you know, it's how it all plays together and that functional root cause approach. We're not trying to, you know, treat each of the symptoms. I often get messages like, how do I fix my acne or how do I fix my hair loss? And it's like, you're looking at the wrong end of the problem. You got to figure out which of the upstream root causes is causing the problem. And that's what you mm-hmm. have to work on. It's funny if you, if you did come to me through an ad, cause I really don't do a heck of a lot of oh, that. Maybe it wasn't an <laughs> ad. It's possible though. I mean, <laughs> I often have sort of, you know, small engagement ads going in the background, but yeah. Maybe you- another Instagram account recommendation. I, I, I just remember the free period class mm. being recommended and I was going back through my email. And so I took the class and then two days later, I bought the root cause roadmap. So I was hooked from the very <laughs> you're beginning. In. You're in. I definitely was running ads to that webinar at, at one point. Like I hope to again, but you know, Facebook ads is such a complicated world, oh you know, but the other thing that you brought up that I think is important is the whole idea that PCOS is complex, you know, it's really Mm -hmm. complicated. It affects almost every system in the body. It's multifactorial. There's a lot of complexity between mental health and metabolic health and reproductive health. And I think it can tend to be simplified as a reproductive disorder, but it's really not just that at all. And that oversimplification is why I didn't tend to my PCOS until, you know, the last few years. It was that it was, you know, a reproductive disorder. And I, my husband and I decided that we weren't going to have children. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess I don't really need to pay attention to that. You know, I'm, I'm stable on, on the birth control pill. My numbers are good. My lab works. Okay. Like, all right. And just kind of let that run in the background. And attending to the the whole system and understanding how the whole system works together or doesn't work together has been been really important to learn well i think i think you know what a flaming feminist i am um, so <laughs> the fact that women's health gets boiled down to our ability to reproduce or not is something that makes me really angry <laughs> and you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe you're not concerned about getting pregnant or maybe that's not a goal for you, or maybe you had your children already and, you know, you're not interested in your fertility. And I think, you know, remembering that our reproductive cycles are 
a vital sign, you know, they're a sign of how things are going in the body, but also, you know, regardless of what's happening in your uterus or not, you deserve to feel good. You know, you, you deserve to feel better and you maybe don't realize how much better you can feel when you are tending to all of those other areas of your life. Yeah. So good. I'm glad you found me. Um, do you, I want to share some of the other resources you found helpful in PCOS. Did you go through Angela's workbook? I have been slowly working my way through it. I have not finished it. That has definitely been helpful. The the PCOS workbook by Angela Grassi. Grassi, yes. I got to meet her in Philadelphia too. Oh, awesome. And that has been helpful. Uh, There are, it's educational in a couple of ways, there's education like presented in the book. Mm. And then there's also like journal prompts and things for self-reflection and, and motivation in there. And journaling was also something I never used to do before. And I have found it to be, you know, I'm not writing pages upon pages on anything, but using journal prompts from, you know, certain, certain ways, like in, in that book or, there was a there was a grief book somebody gave me a few years back when my grandmother died. Using using the prompts has been a, a helpful tool in processing my thoughts and feelings. So yeah, I definitely would recommend Angela's workbook. Awesome. The the PCOS challenge. I believe that's also the Instagram account name has is a, a great resource. Mm-hmm. You've already mentioned Be Fit with PCOS with Jenny. Another account that I like is PCOS Positivity, who is also another registered dietitian. And it's, again, not knocking yourself for having PCOS and learning how to be a happy human being with PCOS. But it doesn't mean you have to be miserable. Um, <laughs> I love so, Yeah. Good. Good, good. One of the things that you know, when I was reading your story and your experience with PCOS, um, one of the things that really jumped out to me was how having a supportive GYN really made a huge difference in your Mm -hmm. care. You know, do you, I assume you've had doctors who were less helpful as well. (laughs) So any tips, on how to find the right doctor to work with or how to get the answers you're looking for with the doctors that you have? So specifically for GYN, I will not see somebody that does not have PCOS mentioned like on their website. Mm -hmm. That's a baseline fundamental, like you need to have it because as you mentioned, PCOS is so complex and yes, most doctors at least know that it exists, but to know exactly like what it is, how it works and all of that is, is a whole other thing. So having, you know, making sure that they have that, asking that question, if if you're, you know, finding a doctor that you're, you're interested in seeing, you know, whether it's a primary care physician or, or an OBGYN, um, or even be a dermatologist to say, like, do you have knowledge of, of this condition? Also going in with or endocrinologists too. I don't want to forget them. They're very important. Yeah. And going in, having, you know, your questions and your goals set and, and being honest. My current endocrinologist, 
when I started seeing her, because the doctors in the practice changed uh, in the middle of COVID. So I started seeing a different um, practitioner. And when I had learned that as many of us did during our, our quarantine time had gained some weight, she wanted me to work on losing that weight. And I did too. And I, I said to her, if you had come in here and told me like, I need to go on like a 1500 calorie a day diet or else I'm not going to have success, I would have walked out of here. But because you are supporting that I'm working with a functional nutritionist, which is you, because I'm doing acupuncture, because I am willing to kind of meet you at like the 1800 calorie a day range, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to give this a try. But so, you know, being honest about mm -hmm. what you're willing to do and what your expectations are with a doctor and, and not just assume that the doctor knows best because they don't always. That's a really, really good tip to, you know, I think uh, I, not that I do this personally um, <laughs> and tend to just not tell our doctors sometimes what we're doing, which isn't always the best approach either. You know, you want to be transparent about what your goals are and what you're willing to do and not willing to do. Also important to, to check if you are working with a registered dietitian, what their experience with PCOS is as well. It's not something we focused on a lot in school. I've seen a lot of clients who have, you know, perhaps they were diagnosed with PCOS and they were referred to the hospital, the outpatient hospital dietitian. Um, and I'll just say, you know, understanding PCOS and how complicated it is is really key to be able to make dietary recommendations. You know, 99.9% .9 of the people I work with tell me they're eating a healthy diet and they are, but is it an appropriate diet for PCOS is, mm -hmm. is my question. Um, and it often is not. And so you definitely can get some not so great advice if you're working with people who don't have experience mm -hmm. with this condition. And sure. also don't accept from a doctor if you tell them you're eating a healthy diet and they're like, you can't be, you, you wouldn't be overweight. Mm, yeah. That just makes my blood boil. Um, uh, it makes my blood boil being in practitioner Facebook groups where I see doctors and dietitians saying, well, she must be lying about what she's eating because that doesn't make sense. And, and I was just I like, okay, bite my tongue, walk away. <laughs> yeah. As I mentioned in my story to you about that, it was that this gynecologist, I, I expressed my frustration with why was I not you know, losing more weight? And she said, I see how hard you're working. Mm -hmm. I see your A1C. I see your cholesterol levels. PCOS just makes it harder. And that validation, it meant the world to me that there, she really understood and that like, no, I wasn't lying. Yeah. I, you know, I try to do the same, with my patients, I actually was just working with someone yesterday who also is a few years out from gastric bypass surgery. And, um, we actually happened to do micronutrient testing on her and it was almost picture perfect. I mean, like Vitamin D was low, but vitamin D is low in pretty much every person I've mm -hmm. ever tested. Um, but it was just like, wow, you've been doing such a great job at meeting your nutrient needs, you know, and especially 
after bariatric surgery, how much harder that is. So yeah, it's, it's important to recognize the work you're doing and not make assumptions about Mm -hmm. what you're doing or not doing based on the size of your genes. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that's something we can all, you know, keep working on better. So one thing that I think was was sort of a common thread in your your story is this whole idea of, you know, you kind of were learning the right things to do and trying different things. But the thing that finally made everything click for you was when you shifted your mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you mean by that? So the name of my, my practice is Growth Mindset which comes from Carol Dweck's work out in California, where the, for people who don't know, the concept of a growth mindset Mm -hmm. is being willing and accepting of where you're at and that you can practice and get better at something versus having a fixed mindset is either you have the talent or ability to do something or you don't. Mm -hmm. And I am in my, my work as a mental health practitioner, am a believer that all people can have good mental health. Mm-hmm. And so having that, that growth mindset and the ability to work on getting better, you know, coping skills or managing their anxiety or, or whatever the things may be. And that is something I have learned from my own experience of having a growth mindset in my life as both my mental health and my physical health. And again, that whole, it's not a moral failure on my part that my body is bigger than somebody else's. And that traditional or antiquated model that like being thin is best and that means you're healthy is not true. So the the concept of you know health at every size which is, as you know, its own program. And I know something that, that Jenny promotes with her, her work with patients that I am, I may be in, you know, a larger size body. It's smaller than it used to be, but I'm never going to be a size six. Like that's just not going to happen. My body is not built to be that way, but my body is healthy at its size. And I am, you know, stronger and my my endurance is better. My, my, my dietary habits are better so many things in, in being open to changes and, and suggestions and giving them a try and seeing if or how they work is is really a big deal. And as you mentioned, you know, being a little skeptical at the beginning of, you know, this functional medicine uh, journey, but then it's like, oh, well, this stuff, this stuff actually kind of works. And, <laughs> um, and so, you know, the proof is in the pudding, as they say, and it, it being open to it was, is like really the key about mindset is being open to trying something. Yeah. I think what's that saying where it's like, if you believe you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right. Henry Ford. Yeah. And you know, that, I mean, not that he's like a great person to be quoting, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's right. It speaks to that mindset. Um, and you have to, you have to believe what's possible for you if you try. That being said, I've also seen, you know, sort of quite a number of messages floating around recently about, 
you know, doing the best you can given the circumstances. And that's Mm -hmm. always something that I try to keep in mind is like perfection isn't possible. And especially not when we're living in a global pandemic and like, you know, everything is chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's like, if you're, if you're getting up and you're, you're brushing your teeth and you're doing some work and you're maybe going for a walk, like give yourself, you know, an A plus for the day. Cause Mm -hmm. You did a great job. And, you know, I think that that sort of ties into my next question to you, which is, you know, what are, what are some of your tips and tricks or the things that you've figured out along the way that help you to kind of stay the course when life is getting, you know, a little, little on the busy side, let's say. Mm -hmm. Well, Small progress is still progress. And I tell all of my clients this big sweeping change is not a recipe for success. When I worked in the hospital, I worked with dual diagnosis patients, so people who had mental health and addiction problems. And I would tell my patients that had addiction problems on the day of discharge if you walk out that door saying you're never going to use again, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. But if you walk out that door saying, I'm not going to use today, you can have success. And that's the key is every single day, we make choices that move us toward our goal, our long-term goal. And if I said to you today, I am going to take all my supplements and eat my protein, fat, and fiber and exercise and manage my stress and all these things, I'd be like, holy crap, (laughs) like that, you know, that's just not, that's an unrealistic standard to to set for yourself that you're going to do everything perfectly all the time. And so it's each day, do as you said, doing the best you can and knowing that each day your best might look a little different. There are going to be days that I could do a 45 minute yoga. And then there are going to be days that... hmm, five to 10 minutes is all I've got in me for the day. There are days that like yesterday, I wasn't feeling so great. So I had ginger ale. That's more added sugar than I normally have in my diet, but I don't drink ginger ale every single day or soda, you know, maybe once a month. So it's the small things that you're recognizing that add up over time. Yeah, I see that too. Um, you know, I find when people start working with me, they're often really gung ho to get started. And it's like, okay, I'm going to work out five days this week and I'm going to pack my lunch every day this week. And I'm like, okay, how about we back it up a little bit? Why don't we put two exercise sessions on your calendar for this week and see how that goes for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then we can add on. And why don't we try packing lunch three days a week to give yourself a little flexibility? You know, if your friends want to go out and grab lunch together, you know, aiming for perfection, you know, we, we tend to basically say screw it sometimes halfway through and just give up where it gets to be too overwhelming to try to do it all all at the same time yeah if you're you know the type of personality too who rebels which you know definitely me you know sometimes being too good or too perfect is like a trigger for you know, just throwing it all away and, you know, doing, doing something bad just to get back at yourself kind of thing. I do find, you know, definitely day to day is a good approach. Sometimes it's meal to meal, you know, Mm -hmm. if you 
maybe didn't eat the breakfast that you have in mind, you can get right back on track with, with yeah. a balanced lunch. That's definitely part of that mindset shift is, mm-hmm. you know, having one bad meal or one bad day does not negate all of the other progress. You can pick back up and at your next meal, you know, eat more in line with what your goals are or the next day, walk a little bit further or even at all when you did it yesterday. Our obstacles or speed bumps or whatever word you want to call them are part of the progress of moving forward. I love that. Absolutely. It makes such a difference to just keep chipping away. Um, you don't have to say, oh, this this whole week is just a loss. I'll start again on Monday. Like just pick right back up and do the next, you know, small thing that you can towards your goals. So I think that's really important. All right. Final question is what is one thing that you want people with PCOS to take away from this episode or one piece of advice that you have for people with PCOS? Oh boy. I know it's a big one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of all the things we've talked about because it's been so many, how it's been in so many different areas of my life. I love, um, I love what you said when you said small progress is still progress. Yes. Yeah. And, and maybe, maybe that's, you know, one of the, the, the biggest tips is let's recognize progress for progress. No, you didn't have a perfect day, quote unquote, but you did, you know, manage to get all of your, you know, the fiber that you had set for the day, or you managed mm-hmm. to get in a 20 minute workout or a meditation or journaling or whatever, that it's still part of the foundation building and habits and, and healthiness. It, it doesn't happen overnight. Even, even though I had the surgery, that was not a quick and easy fix for, for my weight. There, there is no quick and easy fix, I guess, really is the, the take-home message, but that all progress is progress. Yeah, I would like to, you know, add to that a little bit and say, you know, we often are trying to control the the scale, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, we have very little control over what that inanimate object does. The only thing we can control is our own actions and habits and thoughts. Um, Mm -hmm. And those are what are going to result in, you know, those goals that you have set for yourself. Yes. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me, Jenny. I'm so happy to have you as my first guest. And I'm sure that our listeners will, you know, really find what you had to say useful, not only as a person with PCOS yourself, but, you know, a licensed mental health counselor and somebody who's done so much of the internal work yourself in order to manage your condition in a way that is healthy and sustainable for you. So thank you so, so much. And I am excited that you could join us. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's been an honor. Um, Jenny, do you want to share your uh, social media? Do you want people to find you? My Instagram is at Mrs. Villa 710, M-R-S-V-I-L-A. 710. Awesome. Thank you. I know I personally enjoy seeing your your pup 
pictures. <laughs> Always here for the animal pictures. Oh, yes. Thank you again and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. You too. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.